0: Hey guys, and welcome to Season 3 of the Ask People Podcast. I'm your host Xavier Rox and in this season, I get to make my guests laugh, cry, and even make them think about life a little differently, with the questions I fire over to them, which digs into their lives and professions a little differently. We even had a chance to change up the intro, giving you a fresh, new sound. I look forward to sharing Season 3 of the Ask People Podcast with you. Let's go.
1: Hey, my name is Caroline Flanagan. I'm a certified coach, I'm a keynote speaker, I'm host of the Caroline Flanagan Podcast, and the author of Be the First. And you're listening to the Us People podcast with Sally Will. Made up my mind, now's my time to shine. Now's my time to shine.
0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Yes People Podcast. I'm your host, Sabi Rocks, and today I'm humbled to have Caroline here with me. Caroline is an international keynote speaker, a certificate coach and author of the book Be The First, which I'm actually just congratulated her for, which is absolutely magnificent. But also, Caroline is working to improve diversity. And I think that's something beautiful in the world that we need to continue to do and work together to do. Caroline, thank you so much for taking your time to come on the Yes People podcast. How are you?
1: Savia? I am very, very well. And thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure
0: to uh, be here. I'm really humbled to have you. I really, really am from doing research on you and finding out so much about you. I, I really do hope everyone listening here enjoys the interview with us today so caroline my first question for you is could you tell me a little bit about yourself where you grew up but also how that influenced you to be the person who you are today
1: wow big big question right from the beginning i love it no messing around savia um, yeah, so where I grew up, how I grew up, and the influence it had on me today, it's uh, very different to where I am today, for sure. I think if, you know, the way you introduced me, if people see my online profile on LinkedIn, for example, I don't think, in fact, I'm pretty sure they would have no idea really about how and where I grew up. So, Xavier, I grew up in Birmingham. I was born in Birmingham to Jamaican parents, which you'd never guess, of course, from my accent. Uh, but yeah, I used to have a Brummy accent. And um, my parents were never married, only ever lived with one or other of them. Okay. And, you know, it was a, it was, we were from a low socioeconomic group. So my dad... Um, was a bus driver, recently retired, and um, my mum was kind of in and out of my life. She was kind of sometimes around, sometimes not, and really my memories of her as a young girl were very much kind of, that she would kind of arrive in this kind of whirlwind, and um, she's very charismatic, my mum, she'd arrive and um, we'd all be like uh, mesmerised and daunted by her, and then she would sort of disappear without a trace. So that's very, you know, very unusual, very unstable kind of beginning to my life. And then what made it even more so, and and I guess was the beginning of the journey that's led me to here, is that at the age of six, I was sent off to boarding school. So, one minute, you know how that kind of came about is as much, almost as much of a, as a, as um a secret to me as it is to you. Yeah. At the age of six, you don't, you often don't really know, do you, what's going on with your parents and the decisions that they make? But I found myself one day at home and surrounded by people who look like me and very much as part of this, um of of, of, of a Jamaican community where yeah. I certainly and um, lots of people of colour in my life um, and then the next day without almost without warning found myself as the only kind of black pupil in an all-white quite privileged boarding school and really that was a, a huge turning point in my life Savia, because I had to find a way to navigate this world um, this was in the uh, 19, so I was born in 1972. Yeah. So you can do the math of how old I am. So it's like This was a while ago. Um, I went at the age of six, so it wasn't even the 1980s. And that was a turbulent time for race, uh, being black. It was very normal to be called very unpleasant um, words in the street if you were black people would cross the street if they saw you coming that was really normal so to find myself in that kind of environment was it was quite shocking there was you know racism was it was kind of not just rife but it was just the norm the kind of comments that would come from you know other white students pupils who had never really met or known black people at at all Mm -hmm. all they knew was what they saw on the news which was always bad news always bad press so I'd be told things like by my best friend wow you're actually really nice for a black person you're not like normal black people at all you know it surprised them that I wasn't kind of stealing or being violent or being you know It really surprised and challenged their perceptions of all the stereotypes, which is all the media fed up during that time. So, yeah, so a very interesting start. And then so I had that school experience of being the only one in the room for a number of years. And then in my secondary school, it was pretty much the same. It was basically the same situation. Um, And it was only when I left in those final years where you started to see a little bit a little bit of uh, colour starting to fleck through through the school Um, and that I have to say Savia, to then answer your question in full is has pretty much been the trend for most of my life you know I'm very seasoned used to being the only one in the room Mm. Um, I went to Cambridge after my secondary school very few people of colour there if you think there are a few now (laughs) in the 19 early 1990s when I went there were even fewer And then on to work in the city as a lawyer, again, a very, very wide corporate environment. So that's kind of my journey. That's been my experience.
0: That must have been such a bizarre environment to be in. (laughs) I think think at the same time, if you are a person that doesn't see colour, you get used to the fact of having so many people around Mm. you and you standing out. But in a way, that can actually be a beautiful thing because you are not center of attention necessarily, but you are in the center of an environment where people like to judge you, but you can also change people's perception of how they see a certain culture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would say two things to that. First of all, as a kid right and then as a teenager it's challenging because what do you want to do when you're a teenager and as a kid exactly. you want to fit in yeah. yeah so there is there is also you're, you're acutely aware of your difference so when at a young age it's quite hard to see the unique value of yeah. standing out of being unique of having a different background or experience or culture um that took a lot longer for me to really recognize yep. and embrace that um but you're absolutely right from a very young age and as illustrated, I think, by that comment on, Caroline, you're not like black people at all. Exactly. See, so. You know, I actually took great pride, really, most of my life in challenging people's perceptions of what it means to be black, what they thought black people should be doing or or would typically how they would speak, how bright they might be um, and what they could achieve. And I feel that's something that I have been Doing my whole life and doing very, very proudly, and 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 it serves me very well. I think I think about the corporate environments I go into where um, there there's a sense of you know the people I might be talking to a group full of senior white men, for example, who honestly don't really aren't really waking up every day and thinking, oh, how can we fix the diversity problem? There aren't enough black people amongst us (laughs) and might have certain ingrained attitudes which are very outdated, but they still hold them. And, you know, I feel very confident standing in a room surrounded by that, you know, that group of people and being able to stand there and say, you know, whatever your perceptions are of black people, I'm here to show you, to challenge that and to show you different. So I take great pride in that.
0: I think that's definitely something we can connect on because I work in a building where there is predominantly, I would say 95% white people and the rest of us are just dribs and drabs of different nationalities. Mm. Whereas for myself, I love being the person to come out and say things that will help influence somebody's mind to just think a little bit different. and I think if you can take that spark and bring that into somebody else's life that will help them to think and when they see somebody else of a different culture make Mm. them understand that not every single person is the same and I think you're doing that every day Caroline that's what I think
1: um I mean you know if that's what I'm doing while I'm going about doing my work which I'm very passionate about and I'm having that impact then that's bigger than any yeah. any dream I could wish for I mean that's amazing if I'm doing that challenging people's perceptions um it's interesting to think about how that comes about I think there are lots of different ways of changing people's minds um, yes. changing people's attitudes opening their minds and some for some people it's the direct way it's the way of um of um perhaps um being very vocal, being very strident, being saying things very like like being quite confrontational and you know not unjustly so in some circumstances. But that's just one style, one way yeah. of engaging people on a conversation that needs to be had on changes that need to happen yeah. um, structurally, socially. And I think my way, the way I've always been able to do it and almost been conditioned to do it. Um you know, at the age of six and from then on onwards, I couldn't be banging the drum really loudly about my you know equal rights and diversity and all of that. I was too busy working out my way to navigate that world and um, so me from the for me from a very young age, it was about learning how do I reach, form connections with people that make them better more predisposed to listen to what I say, to yeah. hear what I say, to hear my opinion, so it's kind of more of a gentle subtle approach but one which I feel has is so important as well as all the other stuff which we need to bring these issues to everybody's attention we also need those individual conversations individual connections with people that help them that kind of demonstrate that they're wrong about me for example if they are judging me as a black person rather than telling them necessarily that they're wrong about me so that has always been my style of change which I hope complements everybody else's
0: I definitely like that this question is more a reflection of yourself and I love to ask this question can you define yourself as a person who do you see when you look in the mirror but also what does your reflection say back to you but then on the reverse Mm -hmm. side of that question Caroline have you ever looked in a mirror and not recognised the person staring back at you? Of <laughs>
1: um, course, cool. lots, lots in that question, Xavier. Yeah. Um, you know, who do I see when I look in the mirror? Um, it's, it's funny, there are so many things that I see when I look in the mirror and, and by that, by extension, I look at my life, right, which is also reflection. Um, and I don't recognise it at all it's so different to, as we've just heard, right, to how I grew up. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that, for that not recognising. You know, part of it is because, you know, now I live in a beautiful house. I've got four boys. I'm with my husband. We've got this lovely family. It's very different to my experience growing up and the stresses of, um, of money issues, of relationship issues between my parents and family members and all of that kind of dynamic so that's really really different um but I'm also also age wise I mean I'm 48 I'm gonna be 49 this year you don't and look it at all. You know, I think a, a lot of it <laughs> which I'm giving away even though no one listening to this podcast would necessarily have known i confess <laughs> to my age but the point about that is you know to a certain extent you know you look in the mirror and you just don't recognize yourself because you think wow I'm a grown-up you know, part of me is still the little kid. I have moments when I'm still go back and I'm a little kid and I remember being, you know, on the estate in Birmingham or I remember being at school and or I get a flashback or a, an old photo comes up of me at university and I think, who was that person? Yeah. And I think that's just the nature of getting older, right? And and I I feel, you know, we're constantly evolving and I see myself as someone who has evolved enormously, and long may that continue. I want to continue to evolve and be, um, be always sort of challenging myself, growing, and therefore, by definition, I don't want to be looking in the mirror and always seeing somebody I recognise. I like, yeah. um, I almost like that that dissonance yeah. and that question that comes up.
0: Most definitely. I love that. How did your journey begin as an author and a keynote speaker? Because you do have to have confidence to definitely be a keynote speaker, number one. Mm, and yeah. <laughs> and also <laughs> for you to want to write your emotional connection that you have with words and the power of words, which is definitely something I'll get into a little bit later. How did you decide that you wanted to write a book as an author to show the world your creativity, but also how you are feeling about the world as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so you're right about that. It takes quite a lot to, to do yeah. both of those things. And they're very similar in the sense that they involve massive exposure, right? You know, when you're doing, you're standing on a stage and you're speaking to an audience, particularly the kind of audiences I'm normally used to speaking to, they are high performers, it's usually in a corporate environment. They have very high expectations, very low tolerance for yes. um, for someone who's going to come and just waffle on and waste their time. so quite a high pressure environment. Um, and then the book, you know the the extra terror of the book is that once it's in print, it's there and it's out in the world, and you've got no control yeah. of course of, over how long it stays out in the world, who reads it. So it's very, very exposing. Um, how did I find the confidence to do that? um confidence and I teach this in the work I do as a coach um it's a re- it's a reward it's the it's the outcome the byproduct of a courageous act so it's actually the question is how did I find the courage to yes. do that because that's yeah that's what it, it really took um on the speaking side I was always drawn to speaking I think since I can as I can remember, since probably around university time, because it always amazed me how you could be in a room that could be a speaker on stage and they're talking, and how they could just completely change your life just from sharing their experience and give sharing insights. And it really appealed to me the ability to be able to stand on a stage and impact a room full of people. You know, maybe it's 20 people, maybe it's a hundred people, and the fact that you can leave a lasting impression on somebody in the audience that yeah could change their lives so I loved that and I was also really terrified of speaking like most people are but one of the things I have to tell you about me is I don't really like being afraid of things so if there's something I'm afraid of I tend to want to tackle it I tend to want to go after it and not have it as this thing that I want to avoid sounds like me a, a classic example in my life right now is you know I'm doing quite a lot of sort of online training at home as we all are to try and <laughs> keep fit and there's always burpees that come up in the session you know um and everybody hates burpees that's what people say everybody hates doing burpees that exercise is really hard and I'm like I don't want to be the, I don't want to hate burpees I don't want to be afraid of burpees so I'm like all over the burpees because I don't want to be afraid of them right And <laughs> um, so to bring it back on topic that's exactly how I approached speaking I thought. This is something that most people are afraid to do. I can see the value of it. I don't want to be afraid to do it. I want to try it out. So I said, I joined like a local Toastmasters. I was actually living in Italy, Milan at the time. So bear in mind, there was a language thing, right, as well. And I started to just test it out. And oh, my God, I remember how terrified I was the first time I did like a six minute speech in this really controlled, small environment. Um, and I was just dripping with sweat, shaking, could hardly get my words out. I was just mm. absolutely terrified. Um, but despite all of that terror and all that fear, when I was speaking, I got a vibe. I got a sense something in me just said to me this is, this is something I'm supposed to do. Like it just switched something on inside of me that made me feel that actually this is something maybe I'm, maybe I'm made for this, right? Maybe there's something yeah. innate. I feel really drawn to it. And from that day on, it be kind of became a kind of journey, like having to courageously, bravely, through the terror, through the fear, just keep pushing myself to do it again and again and again. And just see gradually is, Every time I did it, that little bit of confidence, being rewarded with a tiny bit more confidence, yeah. and then keep doing it. and And I'm on that. That's a journey that never stops. I still suffer from imposter syndrome and feel that when I'm about to get on stage, but I know that that's my. I know that's my process, right? I know that that's yeah. how, what I go through when I'm growing and getting stronger and getting better as a speaker. And I'm, that's a journey I'll be on, on all my life, really. So that's, I'll, I'll stop there because I've focused on the speaking bit, but it's a, it's a similar situation with the book too. Well,
0: oh, I really do like the way you brought that down. I think that's magnificent, I ma- can't even say it now, magnificent <laughs> for people to actually understand because I think there are so many people that do want to become public speakers, but they find it so difficult to be able to say what they really want to say or when they're on stage they get as you say they're sweaty and they don't actually know what to do whereas Mm. if you take a deep breath and say like you said you found a switch in you and Mm. if they can just find that switch too I know they'll be on the right path to actually finding what they want to do my next one for you Caroline is could you tell me a time where you overcame an obstacle because of the passion of what you love doing and especially in regards to it being related to your book also so is there an obstacle that's happened in your life where your passion of creativity or what you do within your profession has helped you
1: Mm. yeah I think um in terms of the obstacle something you know lots of obstacles as we all face right on my journey from 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 a young girl but looking at my adult life um for me there are fewer obstacles that are like kind of sudden unexpected events that come and throw you off it's not been so much about that it was probably more about that when i was younger
0: yes
1: as an adult um the obstacle is always the self doubt right it's the questioning And so, as you said at the beginning, I'm an ex-lawyer. So I went into the law after university and getting a what's called a training contract, which is your basically your job offer at a big international law firm when you have come from a background where, you know, you hardly had enough money for food, let alone bills, where you were made homeless, all of this stuff that went on to go from that and the insecurity of that to landing a job in one of the biggest law firms in the world and having a guaranteed salary that would pay more than your dad would ever earn his whole career yeah. was extraordinary, right? So I'd arrived at this incredible point of success um, in terms of what I had set out to achieve. I really set out to achieve that security um, to then after my second son was born decide to walk away from that was huge was the biggest kind of leap of faith in my own ability to hopefully be able to kind of fly by myself and exist beyond an institution that paid me a salary where I had an employer and all I had to do was show up like so the the obstacle for me was the big journey there in terms of like I've got to. I've got to have my own back. I'm going to back myself here yeah. and walk away from a career that phew, took a lifetime to, to yeah. obtain. Um, and what enabled me to do that was at the time I walked away, I didn't actually know exactly what I wanted to do, Savia. I didn't know what that kind of mission or passion was. I just knew there was something more I could give the world beyond being behind the desk reviewing 300 page contracts all the yeah. time and going to meetings yeah. and looking through hundreds of boxes of documents I knew there was more I had to give the world um and then began the kind of search to find that and I'd say it wasn't that kind of something happened and I had to overcome that and my passion got me over it it was more every single step over the way in those first few years of finding my feet and realizing that I wanted to help more women get into leadership because I was seeing all these incredible bright women who were leaving because they were having families, weren't able to fulfill their career ambitions anymore because of families and looking the effect on at the effect that was having on leadership. It was all male, all white, you know, so wanting to do something in that space and then that evolving increasingly into seeing I could also help to change things from a racial point of view, from an ethnicity point of view and seeing actually, you know, all my passion growing around not just wanting diversity because I wanted more women in leadership, but I wanted also more people of colour in leadership. Yeah. Um, and so that passion has been, honestly, it's the thing that gets me over the daily hurdles of the South Down that might crop up or the times when I'm really tired and I think why why am I on such a big mission why can't I just be content to to do something small why do I want to take on all these global organizations and get them to change um so it's ongoing that kind of hurdle of believing in yourself managing yourself doubt and 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 having that passion and desire for the change that I'd like to see at leadership level definitely is what what gets me there when I remember it's not about me right it's about it's about the impact we're going to have on different.
0: Maybe you're an undercover. Maybe you're an undercover Caroline activist, and you just don't know it yet.
1: <laughs> maybe I am. Me- maybe, maybe
0: that's what I am. Undercover yeah. activist. Yeah, oh, yeah like and you just don't. Un- I would call you Caroline, an activist of diversity. How does that sound? Yeah,
1: that sounds beautiful. I th- that I sounds like
0: pretty it. cool. If I was to follow you, Caroline, for a day in your life from Mm. the morning of when you wake up throughout your day when you become passionately creative within your field of work Mm. to the end of the day when you feel like you've finished your project or you are at the end of a project where you're happy can you describe how your day is and how you manage your day so people can understand exactly what you do
1: yeah nice question um (laughs) Um, I'm going to be completely authentic about this. I'm going to give (laughs) you all the the fun bits. So look, um, I'm a massive fan, Savin, getting up early. Um, I get up early. I conquer the day just by choosing. I choose when to get up. I don't let tiredness dictate when I get up or in the last minute, I've got to be here. I'll set my alarm half an hour before. No, I like to choose how to start my day. Um, And I always do that. Um it's gone a little bit up and down a bit with lockdown the last few months, but typically it would be an hour. I was aimed to be up an hour before I need to be up, so yeah, before anything good. is yeah. required of me, right? Um so that sometimes looks like half past five, sometimes it looks like five o'clock, and um, sometimes quarter to six. It depends, but it's usually before six, right? And with that time, I go through phases, right? But it's never time that I give to other people it's my sacred bit of the day that I keep for myself and it's really yeah it's sacred really important because I know that from um you know half six quarter to seven it's gonna you know I've got four boys so so already from the minute they wake up it's somebody needs me for something or somebody wants to find something or we need to get somebody somewhere now thankfully the kids are back at school um you know, four kids, husband, dog, you know just busy lives that we all have, right? So I make sure, no matter what I get that bit of the day to myself, you might find me reading, you might find me doing yoga, I'm a massive yoga fan, yes. um for the physical benefit just for keeping myself really centered, um and you might find me writing a diary I like to get my thoughts down on paper, especially if I have a very busy, active mind, and what happens is when i my days are really busy. When I lie down at night, I'm just going off to sleep. My brain almost goes, right, now I've got your attention. Now you've stopped doing all that stuff. I've got a few ideas. So I often <laughs> will lie awake at night with ideas buzzing in my head. Um, so in the mornings to have that space and get yeah. some stuff written down, it's really helpful. I don't know if you, you're, you're no, I'm right the same. To or, yeah, I have
0: a board yeah. next to my bed and I wake up at random times of the night. So it looks really bizarre, but I have a board on the side of my bed with a pen. And okay. and some, sometimes when I wake up at bizarre times, it's just really good. I would I would recommend this to anybody. Um, At bizarre times, it could be three o'clock in the morning if I have an idea that pops in my head randomly and it pops me out of my sleep. I grab my pen and then I write on the board. And sometimes I forget <laughs> that I've even written on the board. And then I wake up in the morning and I see questions. and I'm like and my partner my partner would say to me Savia you know you got up at like three o'clock in the morning seriously and I wouldn't remember but it's magnificent because the question that's on there is phenomenal and I know that I'll use that question later so I I really don't mind to be quite honest with you it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all so, it's yeah. absolutely fine. So, I understand yeah. it. I would definitely recommend yeah. it to anybody to write a list of things down or have a board next to them to help them. It's definitely, yeah. A good idea. I love
1: that tip. I love that tip. I might have to try the board because it's the challenge of not wanting to turn the light on, but wanting to get things. <laughs> things are written down, and it's the a light goes on, dark. my husband goes nuts, and yeah, it's a it's a real challenge. So I love that, and i I also love, as you've like alluded to, you say how magnificent it is to have those ideas or the question yeah. that 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 comes to you in the night. There's something quite crazy about the. I love how the brain wants to do its thing. It wants to make all these connect. The brain, I think, is naturally creative and wants to connect things to produce new ideas or things that you know insights you picked up from the day but you haven't had time to to sort of process and I love although I'd quite like to be able to get my sleep as well but I love the way the brain will insist (laughs) on throwing it up to the surface and give you the chance to capture it and if that's at night and you have to write on the board so (laughs) be it right (laughs) here's a question that
0: connects to our last one actually so how do you take your personal life away from your professional life because that's mm. definitely one. Because as we were speaking before, obviously nighttime things pop up in our mind and we get more creative, just naturally, like creative people do. But how do you separate your professional life from your family life?
1: Mm. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm finding that really hard at the moment with lockdown. It's something I've typically prided myself on being able to do um I think it helps when you've got natural rhythms in the house that can break it up so if you work from home some of the even in normal times I would have worked two or three days um from home and what would happen is I'd hear the kids all coming in the door slamming and there'd be this kind of natural break in the day it was never the end of my working day because kids finish school halfway through the day <laughs> three or four or but it would kind of give me jolt me a little bit into kind of remembering I have a family and there's a world outside my head right so that sort of helps and then what happens at a certain point you know I'm really conscious I need to see my children at some point in the evening I need yes. to have a bit of quality time for them so so children having children obviously helps but During lockdown is really challenging because we're basically with uh, our family, our loved ones, our partners all day. And that creates that illusion that you're spending time together, um, that you're connected with each other. But actually just being in the same space isn't the same way as being connected. And the fact that we're having to work from home all the time. Um, and in the same physical environment in which we're expected to relax and to play and to connect with our family, it is. I know it's a challenge that your listeners will be experiencing, and I certainly have. and i'm I'm really lucky, you know, I know I've got my own office, which is where I'm in now, and mm-hmm. um, so I can sort of take myself away for work. But it's a challenge. Um, a couple of things. Um, music is amazing at that. Music's amazing anyway. But if you can get those few tunes that you maybe everybody likes, you put on to kind of mark the end of the day, I find music a brilliant way of getting you out of one state and into another. Really, really good. Um, and so that would be my first tip. And the second one is really to kind of get those around you to maybe help, like support you, hold you accountable, but in a supporting way. Yeah. Um, and not to kind of give you a hard time for how hard you work, because that's a bit the danger, right? You work. You'll just keep working into the yeah. evening and not really stop. But get other those around you to kind of support you to say, you know, To-do list is going to do this is gonna be there tomorrow, still gonna to be there the next day, you know. Um, it's time to shut off. So a challenge, something I'm working on, but the music definitely really helps.
0: I have a really incredible question that every time I ask this question, Caroline, only ten percent of people can answer it. But I haven't been. <laughs> I have a challenge. feeling <laughs> you like a challenge, so this is going to I be like good. Challenge. So, if I was to say to you, Caroline, if you could choose one song that was the soundtrack of your life, what song would you choose, and why would you choose that particular song?
1: Okay, so I have to choose. um <clears throat> The song that comes to me, you're going to laugh because I can't remember the name of the song or who sang it. Um, And I do every now and then I look it up and this would be really frustrating for your readers. But there's one song that comes to me. I don't know where it sort of came from or how it came to me at a time when I was at school and going through a very difficult time with my family. Very, very difficult and feeling very alone and struggling and wondering what's the point. And it's a song that goes um the higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The further you take my rights away, the faster I will run. You cannot deny me. You can't decide to take um, my faith away, or something like that. There's something inside so strong is the name of the song. Now, thankfully, thankfully, I did not try and sing it for you. I thought it'd spare (laughs) your listeners' ears. But you can find the song really easily. But something inside so strong, and that song. You know, I hardly ever listened to it. Um, I can't remember the last time I listened to it. But in terms of impact on my life, in making me feel it doesn't matter what you throw at me, it doesn't matter how hard you make it. Like it was the turning point for me yeah. where I thought, Whatever you ask of me, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do more. Whatever courage is required, I'm gonna out-courage you, I'm gonna outrun you, I'm gonna outwork you. It's the Yeah, that's my song, my
0: defining song. I like that. See, you actually answered it. So you're in the top 10% of people that can actually (laughs) answer that question. That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. I like that. So my next one for you, I'm going to say many different words, but I would like to know which words resonate with you and how you feel about them. So there is power, perception, culture, justice, Class, privilege, diversity, race, prejudice. Talk to me about how these make you feel in your opinion and which ones stand out to you the most.
1: Um, do you want just me to pick out generally what I heard yeah, from what you you're can saying or p- You can just pick to-
0: whichever ones you remember mm. that resonates mm. with you. Yeah,
1: so I'm gonna, gonna pick one. I think it touches so many of the others, right? For me, mm-hmm. it's power, right? You um, I talk a lot about power, and it's not the kind of power which is about controlling other people or manipulation or the kind of negative, uh, the idea of power and its negative conversation connotations. It's idea of personal power for me. Yes, it's a very defining word for me, and it threads through all of the work I do, which is about moving you and this is my journey right moving from a position of powerlessness right yes. to finding your power finding a way when there are circumstances you can't control when there are things that happen to you that you have no influence over somehow finding a way to find your own personal power in this situation and what you can do when you find that um one of the in fact the reason why I wrote this book, uh, Be The First, is because I felt so frustrated by what I felt was the sense of powerlessness amongst people of colour in white corporate environments, in so many environments, and that feeling that, you know, we need, and we do, right, don't get me wrong, we need the system to change, we need institutions to change, we need structural racism to be white, all of those things But for me, and we absolutely need that. But as long as we, I think as people of colour, as long as we are waiting, requiring, demanding, trying to control and waiting to be able to live our lives and have all our rights, waiting on other people to do something in order to fix it. For me, that means I'm powerless. For me, in the meantime, while it's going to take 10 years for corporate culture to really change to the point where people of color are equal and have the same opportunities and rights and pay what am I supposed to do in the meantime as the person of color who has to go to work and who has to be the only one in the room and yep. feel like they don't fit in so it's those situations or oh, it's, it's that person that I see myself as empowering to find okay so what well, okay, so all these things outside your control, so what can you do? Where can you find your power in that situation? Now that's the ethos of the book. It's what I stand for. It's what I attribute kind of my success, if that's what we're calling it, to, is that ability to find power in situations where I felt powerless. And hopefully you've heard in that the things, you know, the other words that it touches on. So it touches on issues of race, right? Because... Yes. That's the issue about race is the powerlessness of being, you know, a black or member of an ethnic minority group and there being a dominant group. Um, It touches on diversity because that's what we want to change, why we want greater diversity at the top. So, yeah, I feel like that word for me and the meaning it has threads through a lot of the words that you've mentioned.
0: I like the fact, the reason why I asked that question is because for me, it gives me intuition of what resonates with you the most? Mm. Because there's so many words that I've said, but I've noticed within people, the word that they choose is the word that resonates and impacts them or reflects some kind of reaction or emotion in them the most. And I love Mm. asking that question. Thank you for saying power. You're the first to say power.
1: Seriously.
0: You're the first to say power. Cool. That's definitely cool. This one is a personal question. So, what is the one thing you battle with in your life that nobody knows that you would like to share?
1: (laughs) It's a hard Uh, one. Yeah, it is. It is a hard one. Um, Okay, so I know what I'm going to answer to this question. So, the thing I battle with most in my life, still a little bit, and not saying it's every day, but it's there and it's been there for a long time, is the tension between my heritage, so both my parents are Jamaican, and my basically my experience and upbringing. So me being kind of plucked from a Jamaican culture and world um, and into this very white culture where I'm just surrounded by basically, you know, fairly affluent middle-class white people and seeing that life. And that really, and me seeing the difference between the kind of experiences and expectations and lives of people in my family, you know, family members, other members in the black community and seeing, you know, it was a messy old childhood mine. I was exposed to things I would never, ever want my children to be exposed to or any child and no child should be exposed to I witness things no child should witness or have to have to cope with um so for me having this strange existence where I would be at school in this kind of white world um where friends talked about going on holidays and their mum and dad and they had stockings at Christmas and oh. and then coming back to my personal life where Christmas was like kind of sometimes like a little bit like might have been some violence involved there might have been some unpleasant stuff involved like that just i cannot tell you like the contrast and the challenge of living those two existences and as a result of that as you can probably imagine savya like there's a certain amount of like being alienated from both those sides so in the white world I was this anomaly I was this the one black person in the room didn't fit very different culturally right so an imposter and it's why imposter syndrome is one of my big is my big subject right area of expertise being an imposter in this white world but what I saw what I was exposed to and the hunger and the drive that I, um, that I acquired as I learned, you now I had opportunities to learn, to study and my hunger for doing well and for studying hard and elevating my situation so that my life, so that I wouldn't have those experiences anymore, right? I wanted to yeah. be an adult that didn't have to be evicted and be surrounded by unpleasant um, in, or, or exposed unpleasant scenarios. So having that drive meant that when I was back in my family, I was also an imposter right? Because I was the one that I was just wanting my head in my book all the time. I was the one studying hard for my A-levels when my cousins of the same age were, you know, at the ages of sort of 17, 18 in my family. If you hadn't had children then, then you were a freak. You know, I was called names because I'd rather have my head in the book rather than having children and being able to, you know, and this is not playing into stereotypes about black people. I'm talking only about my experience, know, it was not the done thing, you were teased for being a bookworm in in my family and um, as you can hear, right, I lost my Birmingham accent, I don't have a Jamaican accent or don't speak patois, my family do, so for me going home to that environment is again, I'm an imposter here as well, like who am I and that's been a tension for me, I'd say, my whole life and one of the wonderful things about writing the book is it's the kind of wonderful expression of what i found to be so positive and powerful about yes. that which is hang on a minute I've kind of got a foot in both camps here exactly yeah, I'm yeah. not fully in one I'm not fully in the other but I can kind of dance between the two and that was a really empowering revelation for me it wasn't overnight I'd say it's been over the last few years to really step in and own that rather than feel the discomfort of you know feel discomfort in that in in both worlds um and the last thing I'll say in terms of um because you asked me what what would I want them to know uh listeners to know um when I was writing the book which was again this this uh, culmination or this realization of what I could therefore offer the unique perspectives I could offer I did have a real imposter syndrome crisis about writing it. And I thought the thought that went through my head was I'm not black enough to write this book. I'm not black enough to write this book. And I went through a oh. whole thing where I thought about it. I don't know if you've seen the green book. Have you seen the green book, Savia? Yes, um, I have. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so there's a moment in that where um, the driver um, says to the star that I can't remember the name of the actor and he says, Oh, you know, I'm black at the new one. And there's this kind of, judgment about whether he's yeah. a real black person because he's this incredible concert pianist and because of his way of speaking or way of dressing and I think you know it's not this is not a conversation for um you know HR and the and diversity groups within white corporate organizations right about race and ethnicity but it, I think it is a really important conversation perhaps within our own community of like yeah how what how are we defining ourselves and yes we define ourselves as black but within that there is so much that is different that is very there's so much complexity within yes. just under the umbrella of being a black person and I think it's really important that we recognize that so we're also not stereotyping ourselves um and saying that somebody who speaks like me shouldn't be you know isn't black enough to write a book um Nobody ever said that to me, by the way. Um, I want to make that clear. It was really my sensitivity to the fact that, you know, I can I can see, and I probably uh, I'd have, you know, you pick up on judgments about people who make, you know, maybe black people who make certain choices, whether it's about how they have their hair, or how they dress, or how they speak, or who they hang out with, um, and so that's definitely something I had to work through. And I'm so glad I did. Like the book is so much a better book for that because coming out the other side of that and embracing my answer to what it means to be black to me, is this is what it means to be black to me and my experiences I can draw on and they will all resonate with who they resonate with. And that's all that matters. It was a really big moment, big journey for me.
0: I see nothing wrong, Caroline, with you being an educated person thank you You so much (laughs) I I, I, I think throughout a lot of my life people saw me to be quite weird because I was the one who always observed people Mm. I am a people watcher, is natural and when I do that I find that I gain a lot more wisdom of understanding people Mm. and that helps me be able to understand them and how to talk to them in different environments but when it comes to, for instance, black people are your, your, your bookworm or you write too much. My one, I, I wrote too much. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it was sometimes our cultures, because I'm half Jamaican and half Indian, our cultures will say we're we'll, we'll bookworms or we write too much, but we are educated. Whereas the media, and this is just my opinion, The media has put a certain perception on how black people are as a culture, like you said earlier on, but just because we are educated, is that not a good thing? Is that not a forward step for us as black people to be able to educate ourselves as well as educating the next generation coming in to let them know that you are not by yourselves. We are opening the door for you to make it easier for you to be able to walk through. Yeah. Which kind of leads me on to my next question for you, which is how do you feel about the next generation knowing that you have four boys and Mm. they are the generation of the future? How do you feel they will use their creativity within any profession that they desire to be in to help change the world in in racism, in fighting for equality, for rights empowerment, Mm. How do you feel like the next generation will be able to move forward as we have opened the door for them to make it a bit easier for them?
1: Mm. Um, I think my answer to that, both in terms of my children, but also the, the next generation generally, is um, for me it's by being an example of what's possible, right? So in terms yeah. of what they then go on to do, I hope that it's to always challenge, like, and always have this sense of, like, I don't want them, and I hope, and I can see it in my older boys as well. They don't do impossible. They don't see that certain things are closed off to them. And there's a confidence in them which I, you know, like, burn sometimes so bright. I'm just like, I look at them, and I can't believe their sense of self. And it's wonderful, right? I love, lovely to see um, I don't know how they'll change the world I but I know that so far they have a sense of entitlement to be able to change the world to be whoever they want to be go as far as they want to be and I yes. use that word entitlement deliberately because that's not something You know, that's the big difference between generations yeah. like since when could we as a, you know as a generation of like we I'm I'm I think, older than you, but like, since (laughs) when could um, black people feel that they were, and I don't mean deserving, because of course deserving, but entitled, like claiming it as a normal right that you wouldn't even question. Like, that's what I want to see. And that's what I am seeing, I think, in the next generation. And I think, as the old gods sort of die out, and those who are very stuck in their ways and rigid about the old um, norms and inequalities and um, that's what I see coming through it's like the starting point is that we're all equal the starting point is I'm just as entitled to this as you are I, like I may that. be black you might be white but we're equally entitled and I can see that entitlement and I and I and I'm loving that and relishing and nurturing that as much as I can um yeah I, I hope that answered your question that's why oh, it definitely
0: did, did. No, it definitely did. What do you feel most curious about in the world at the moment? What makes you
1: curious, Caroline? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what makes me curious? I'm curious about, I mean, lots of lots of things make me curious. I'm trying to kind of be more focused in my answer. I'm curious about where Black Lives Matter is going yes. to lead. Um, I see, you know, we had the big kind of, wow, the tsunami, right, effect of last year and George Floyd and, you know, the amazing explosion of that onto the sort of global consciousness, which is amazing. Yeah. And now we're seeing a kind of, obviously, a sort of simmering down, but but, but the world has changed, right? So, um, it's never going. It's never ever going to be to go away. But I'm very curious into, as to where we where we go next is the way to put it. So we have the big kind of massive event that throws everything up in turmoil, and then we have the risk of which I don't think will happen, but the risk of like something else big happening and replacing that, and suddenly we're back. And nothing's changed. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. What's going to happen is something in between. So I'm really curious as, as to what that's going to look like. And much as we would love a revolution in the way um, in the way society works, race works, how we treat each other, and how diverse we are, we'd love it to all be overturned very dramatically. I don't think that's how it's going to be. It's going to be much more gradual. So I'm curious as to kind of what shape and form that's going to take. And I think. I mean, talking about the next generation and the younger generation—that's my curiosity because yeah. I kind of want to see. Well, what are they going to do with it? Where are they going to take it? That's yeah. what I'd quite, I quite—I'm curious about. Where does the next generation take this battle, this this challenge that we've been, um, we've been, yeah, fight this battle we've been fighting, um where will they take it next? It's a bit like handing over the baton almost to the next generation yeah. and seeing what they do with it, where they run with it. So, yeah, I'm very curious about that.
0: I'm actually quite intrigued to see where that will lead, actually, myself. Mm. I, might, I think it will be inspiring regardless, and it will be something to definitely watch and remember. Yeah. If, if I was to say to you, if there was a civil rights icon that you could work with mm. in any project that you desire. What civil rights activist or mm. icon would you choose to work with you? <laughs>
1: um, look, I'm more, My answer to that question is always going to be Maya Angelou. Doesn't matter how you phrase the question. Wow.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, what can I say? Um, i I would want to work with her because of the impact you know the impact that she has had exposing what it means to be black, what it means to be a black woman woman um yeah. but but somehow navigating if you think about the years in which she lived and how the level that she reached the impact she's still having on the world i mean i the number of kind of white professionals that I hear quoting Maya Angelou is amazing. I know they're quite Martin Luther King. And, you know, I know there are, you know, there's Harriet, there's no, so many black icons. Um, But I think she has captured my imagination from a really young age because of her writing um, and because of, um, she's just really resonated. So in terms of working with, um, and, and maybe it reflects my very quiet way of being an activist too. So through... My creative work, um, rather rather than kind of leading the crowds and leading the charges, that's I'd, I'd say I'm probably more aligned with her and her message and messages than anything else. Yeah.
0: I I I remember you saying that you are quite quiet, but you, in my opinion, quietness is also very powerful. Mm. It's yeah. very very powerful as well. Sometimes. Um, my grandma <laughs> my grandma always used to say to me silence is the best <laughs> the best the best I think it's the best um silence is the best something for a fool basically and um, I was yeah so she was saying that to me and I couldn't stop laughing and when I was young I never understood it until I got older and I was in an environment where I had to use my silence as a form of power mm-hmm. and And then it taught me, you know, sometimes you don't always have to have an answer for something because your silence will tell the person your answer immediately Mm. just by you not saying. And that always resonated with me everywhere I went and I learned so much from it. So that's definitely something. Yeah, I just thought I would say it randomly. I just thought I would say it. What is the best? It definitely is. What is the best advice somebody has ever given you, Caroline? that has helped you throughout your life. It could be that people have given you different sayings throughout your life because I know there might not just be one saying in particular mm. because we have so many people coming in and out of our lives that teach us and mould us mm. to be the person who we are. But has there ever been a saying that you will always remember that has helped you throughout the changes within your life?
1: Yeah. Mm. You may have come across the question that stumped me, not because there aren't, but just because I'm having to search mm. for the answer to that. And I don't want to just come up with something and make it up. Mm. So, um, so I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm going to answer another question, which is oh, okay. similar. It's connected, but it's not one particular person. Um, so it's, it's, it's a quote from a book which I've always really liked. It's from a book called Illusions by Richard Bach. Nice. And it says, there are lots of, I mean, it's kind of book, you know, reading it as a teenager, you know, when you highlight, bit, highlight bits, yeah. you underline bits that you like and you end up underlining the whole book. <laughs> it's one of those. It's only about 20 pages. Um, and there was a time I probably could have quoted the whole book. So there's a, it's a simple quote in there. And it just says, you'll never been, you are never given a wish without being given the the means or the capacity to make it come true. And then it says, you may have to work for it, however. Mm-hmm. And that quote for me was it just seemed to again, it's a bit like the something inside so strong that just would just come back up in my mind at just the right moment. But that idea that was that there was nothing that was unavailable to me if I was willing, right? That I actually had the possibility of creating anything or achieving anything I wanted in my life. However, I would have to work for it. Um, it's a bit like now I'm saying that to you it's a bit like the law of attraction, right, where yeah. there's this idea of you know you send it out to the universe and what you want, you attract the results that you want, and a lot of people get stuck there because they kind of do all the dreaming and the attracting, and like I want this to happen in my life, and I'm dreaming of all these positive results, and then they stop there and kind of wait for those results yes. to happen, <laughs> and they forget the bit where you need to get to work. <laughs> You still need to get to work to make it happen. But the point is you're attracting it, but also you're working towards it. And the idea is you meet the universe halfway, and so so that's a very important point. If you're if you're a fan of the law of att- attraction, don't forget the bit that you have to do. Uh, they to forget that, that part. <laughs> um, so yeah, so for me, it's a I, I love that quote by Richard Bach, which is you know, there's you can. It's a kind of, you can achieve anything you want, but you will have to work for it. And it reminds me of the um, the other like quotes, as you can imagine. They kind of, you know, I think I pick, that's what I have picked up along the way from my reading, right? Um, yeah. And it's this idea, whatever you can do it, um, do it now, because boldness has genius and magic to it. And the idea of providence moving too. So it's either girth or... Um, I'm gonna to have to look that up and let you know which yeah. who, who that quote is from but the idea of it is you do your bit right you put in your work and then the universe is going to meet you halfway they will do their bit and meet you and it's all just for me part of um it sums up the I guess maybe my life sort of the philosophy that drives my enthusiasm my positivity yeah. my optimism for being able to create incredible results, results that might seem impossible for the outside, from the outside, but to be able to overcome whatever to achieve your goals, um, anything that speaks to that, that speaks to my power, right, to to do that is is going to be what is what stays with me, and best mates all the time. I love that one. So I avoided no, your I question, understand. but I gave you something else. Oh,
0: no, you you avoided it, good. <laughs> you avoided it good, <laughs> so I like that one. <laughs> when was the last time you felt totally at peace with yourself?
1: Um, yeah, I'd say I have. I'd say that I have moments of that a lot. Actually, that's good. Samia. That's actually good. Yeah, and there might be just flickers of moments, but I'm really. It, it's a bit like the moments when, you know, you're really conscious of being present in the moment and being yeah. present in gratitude. And for me, that's what being at peace with myself is. It's when I can see how much um, there is to, uh, I always find it weird saying be grateful for because for me, that doesn't do justice to the word gratitude. It's just to be in gratitude yeah. for what's beautiful around me and by which I mean nature, right? Or what's amazing or what, you know, what I can see that's manifested in my life that I could never have imagined. And I, I'll I'll often just have that smile from one of my boys or a hug at a particular moment in time, which just makes me, bowls me over with, it just really grounds me in that moment, makes me feel really present. And that for me is a feeling of peace when I recognise, I step out of the busyness and all the things I'm trying to do. And I just have a moment where I go, ah, oh, I'm just in this moment, right now, present. Yeah. And this is what it looks and feels like. So, and that happens. It does it doesn't like last for hours, but it happens frequently, um, and I really embrace that. Those are my moments of being in peace. Actually, yeah.
0: See, here's one that's joined to that, which is, where does happiness come from, and can you define what happiness means to you?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think happiness comes from our brains. (laughs) It comes from our thoughts about what's going on in our lives.
0: (laughs) I like the way you said that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it'd be great to be able to say, well, it comes from, you know, and there's this perception, isn't there, or belief. Even if you wouldn't consciously say it, we often act as if we'll be happy if only this could happen, right? Or if only I could have this. Um, there's a coach that I follow in the States called Brooke Castillo and she's been very, very successful and building life coach school and a lot of her philosophies. I think are really, her her teaching is really amazing. One of the things that she says, which is so powerful is, um, it's not better there than it is here. It's just different. Um, I think when you're struggling financially, I think when life is really hard, like the basics of shelter and food and security um I think when you're struggling for those it's very different right for sure happiness is having a roof over your head and not having to worry happiness is being able to feed your kids right so that relative position I'm never going to take anything away from that that's a very real concrete way of moving to a happier state but for those of us who are really fortunate enough to not be that not be, you know, that sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs where the basics, once we've got the basics taken care of, of being able to feed and water ourselves and shelter ourselves, actually there are all these sort of degrees of levels that you reach up where you're comfortable and then maybe you can afford a bigger house and then maybe you can afford to get a job where you, I don't know, sit and think all day and someone pays you. You know, this idea of, um, of life getting easier, the more comfortable you are, the more things... Uh, you're able to to do more freedom you have but it still brings other challenges um having more just changes things it doesn't necessarily create happiness as we know there are lots of people who are rich who are very very unhappy lots of people who are famous who are very very unhappy so where does happiness comes from it comes from our own thoughts about where we are right now um i could wake up today and have everything I woke up this morning have everything like this and just been really miserable about the fact that you know my husband's been a bit grumpy today my kids you know one of my kids is not speaking to me or you know I haven't been able to get this piece of work I'm trying to get done I've been struggling to do it it's been quite a stressful day I really get caught up in the kind of all the things that are wrong with my life today Um, and of course no happiness there similarly I could wake up and same situation the whole day right but my thoughts about it are completely different my thoughts are about another day in which oh another day closer to not being in lockdown right another day when my children come home they're all safe they're all well they've all had a good day at school another day where there's food on the table right it's just a question of where your thoughts right where you allow and choose your thoughts to go um sounds a bit like glasses half empty, half full. I guess that's basically what it is. So you choose. That's where happiness comes from, it comes from your
0: choice. I like that. I like that. I've never heard someone describe it the way you have about choices. I think that's really important. My second to last question for you is what would you like your legacy to be when you feel, and only when you feel, Caroline, that you have done as much as you can do positivity, creativity? within your professions how would you like to be remembered as an individual
1: as an example of what's possible that's good. yeah um I think when you asked me that question I mean I'd love to, you know it, it would be great to be remembered as having made an impact on diversity and corporates and, and leadership and that's my day-to-day job right mm. and I care about that very much but actually you know if I think about the lasting impact I think I go back to almost the sort of six-year-old me or the 11-year-old me like the young um the child who is in an environment where they might not feel supported. They may not feel like they belong. They might not feel that like they've got many chances. They may not feel that certain um, routes or success are open or available to them. They might, and they feel basically powerless. I think I would like my legacy to be that they hear somehow about me um, and what my childhood was like and what became possible for me, and that that gives them hope the hope to see beyond um where they are right in that moment of difficulty and to see the hope and the possibility of their lives or their world being really different and and and, and being better so i would like my legacy to be hope actually and um an example of what is possible i think that would be really amazing for, for, for people um for, for the younger generation
0: definitely that sounds good to me hope is something definitely we all need at the mm. best of, at the best of times believe yeah it.
1: yeah but don't forget the work time. don't forget the work not just the hope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Caroline's got something about the work guys she's
1: definitely on the work so guys don't yeah the work. it's important and, you know, I know it's it probably, you know, who knows what this sounds like in the playback. But the reason why it's important, I think, is because it's very, you know, it's it's easy, Savvy, also to look at other people and see and think, oh, well, it's all right for you. This happened. Right. It's all right for you. It was easy because and this is why it will never happen for me. But you are lucky. And I I like to emphasize the work because it's like because that's what it takes actually and yeah um and and I think an important part of my message I would I don't want to gloss over there and also the joy comes in the work the reward is having worked for it and earned it so it's a really important part of it in a positive way not in a kind of or not only in a kind of get to work way it's it gives you ownership of the results so I'm all about the work
0: yes. I do I do I do understand the reason why you said it I think we have more gratitude when we work for but another thing we do as humans I do believe is that we always compare ourselves to, to somebody else I find as well yeah. so what we do in our journey is we compare someone and we say well like you were saying, well, you were lucky because you're in this family yeah. and you're in this yeah. culture, so things are yeah. going to be easier for you. But that's not the truth all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Certainly um, not the whole truth, right? There's all sorts
0: of oh, we all have things have a, going on. we all have a story, believe me. We all have a story. Yeah. <laughs> My last question for you, Caroline, is where can we find you on all your social medias and your podcast because I didn't forget about your podcast yeah Yeah, I always love bringing that in your book where can we find your book and where can we find you because I've had the privilege today to be able to interview you and have you on the Ask People podcast show but if anybody else would like to interview you or just get in contact with you for any reason where can they find you on all your social medias
1: Thank you for that question. A nice, easy question for me to close (laughs) on. So, uh, Savia, um, so you can find out more about me uh, on my website is the easiest place and easy to remember. It's carolineflanagan.com. And then on social, I'm basically Caroline Flanagan. If you search me, um, you search Caroline Flanagan, it will, you know, it, it will come up in your searches. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram a little bit. I'm in Facebook. I'm in Twitter, all the socials. Um, so, yeah, please do come and find me. You'll find details of like the podcast and of the book on the website, CarolinePlanigan.com, Or the book, Be The First, is also on Amazon. So that's easy to find too. But just search my name
0: please support the book guys please support the book it's important that we support each other in what we do especially when it comes to creativity and our professions so definitely Caroline I want to thank you so much for your open-mindedness for your kindness and for telling your story to so many people I have so much gratitude for having you on the show thank you so much
1: Savia, thank you so much for such a wonderful, um, insightful, provocative interview. I have really appreciated how uh, important it's been to you to get to know the real me and uh, for the real me to come out to your listeners. So thank you for your generosity and for your curiosity, for your interest. It's
0: been a thank you so much. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you so much for listening. the us people podcast and please remember you can subscribe and leave us a review on spotify itunes google play and any other platform that you prefer listening to please also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can also donate to the us people podcast by simply going to the savvy rocks website or just typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast guys thank you so much for listening stay happy Stay positive and, as always, please continue to be kind to one another.
1: Great. I mean, you've, you've got. I mean, I'm. I'm guessing you've heard this a few times. You do have a beautiful voice to listen to.
0: Thank you. I get yeah, shy when people do. tell me, so I go shy and I go into my shy. Yeah,
1: that's okay. It's still, yeah, really lovely voice to listen. And yeah, I meant every word of what I said. It was an absolute pleasure. It's, it's really, um, you know, you really notice the difference between uh, uh, like different types of interview styles. Let's call it that, and some. Some interviews are quite, quite shocking. They just read a, read a question, you answer, and they read another question. There's no conversation, so I loved, you know, getting to know. I know we talked about me, which is um, we'll have to address that the next time we speak. But I felt like it was wonderful to feel like we we're having a genuine conversation. So thank you for that and the opportunity to share everything that you let me share. It's amazing. You are your own worst enemy Thinking too far what's ahead of me One day at a time Just enjoy the ride Open those eyes, see the light Ignite that fire inside it Let it breathe breath into life Push all your fears to the side Control your mind, it's all all alright Enjoy your life, the joy is mine Commit to you, you got the tools Everything you do, you make the rules Sometimes you need